Hi everyone, I hope you're all well and doing lots of nice things, new things that you can find to do, but um, hopefully things are getting better now. Although it's a rubbish day today, I haven't been out today, it's really rainy and horrid. But there you go, we had a nice day yesterday. But I'm very excited because my guest this week is a dear friend of mine from the United States of America. She's one of the most beautiful, gorgeous actresses and models. And I worked with her first about, oh gosh, 30 years ago. And we became really good mates and I love her to bits. And it is the beautiful Brooke Shields. Well, this is such a treat for me. I'm talking to my lovely, <laughs> gorgeous, darling friend, Brooke Shields, all the way from New York, yeah? All the way from New yes. York, yes. yes. How and are your, you? Your, your bedroom here is ready. Your bedroom <laughs> here is always ready for when you usually well, want to Well, at the moment, come. they won't let us on a bloody plane. We can't get out of the country. Uh, <laughs> you swim, don't you? <laughs> We're trapped. <laughs> oh, how uh, is New York? You know, New York is we're we just adapt to things. You know, everybody's got a mask. Everybody's some have two masks. Every there's outdoor dining absolutely everywhere. The streets have all been converted into these ventilated but heat clamped um, restaurants. And we even um, outside of where we we live, we've we love the restaurants in the neighborhood, and we've all just said use the space. And so it's kind of, it's, it feels very, um, I don't know, you're, people are bundled up, but they're, they're all just dining out and it's really helping the restaurants have the capacity because they just, they would have all died. Well, you know? th that's what's happened here. You know, they've been shut or well, they reopened a little bit in the last summer. Then they, we had lockdown again and we're still just, we're just coming out of the third lockdown. And the poor restaurants and hotels, you know, they're they're in dire, dire straits. A lot of them have been doing takeaways, but but that's such a good idea. But you're right, New Yorkers adapt to anything and everything. You have you have ten foot of snow, and you <laughs> we get two we get two inches, and every everything stops. <laughs> <laughs> well, even when we had snow, it was interesting because they um, shoveled the snow. So that we looked like we were in these sort of ice ice huts or something like that, because they would put and they've built structures outside of all the restaurants. So the pretty fancy French ones have, you know, painted and they're all they're all like tents and they're all ventilated, obviously. And the everybody wears masks. And so I think it's just, you know, they're doing the best they can. I think they're at 30 percent or something like that. But New York, you know, that's what. New York has always been a bit scrappy when it comes to those things. You know, it's really hard to knock us fully down. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, listen, New Yorkers will never die. Not in my book. <laughs> what, what are you drink? Are you, are you a tea drinker, Brooke? I am. Oh, I am a. I'm a builder's tea girl. Mm. I'm a. I'm a peachy tip, and I'm. I'm vacillating because I just. I just bought a box of the strong, extra strong. Uh huh. Just, it's my favorite, favorite tea. Ever and when I was in um, when I was doing Chicago in in the West End years uh -huh. back, somewhere they had read that I was a fan and they got me a, a beautiful mug that had my initials on it, but to look like the P G, <laughs> and it was sort of my favorite. You know, I don't even use it; I just hold it. But um, 
Do you have English style with milk and sugar? I have it with milk, milk, but I uh, I do milk, but I don't do sugar. You don't? Not even don't honey? Um, you know what? If I love it. It's just that would be my like four o'clock one. The okay. morning I need I need just a bit of a bit of cream and half and half here is much more equivalent to your regular milk. I, that's my that was my problem when I was in America is I don't like half and half in my tea because I have skim milk so it's very it gets gray I, though <laughs> it's, it does go a bit gray but quite <laughs> but no you can't get a good cup of tea in this in the states no, I can't. I will say that it's. Uh, no, and if you give me a cup of water in a bag, I know. Like, that I'm gonna, I'll leave. Listen, <laughs> I love America so much, and I, you know, it's been so good to me, and I've got so many mates there. But you cannot make a decent cup of tea if you order it in a restaurant. You do, you get a cup of hot water and a, a tea Maybe bag hot. on the side. <laughs> it may be hot. It might. It, by the time it gets to the table, it's probably lukewarm. I know it's disgusting. <laughs> you have to have boiling tea. <laughs> Anyway, no, I do use the tea bags, the the little triangles, the little pyramids from PG. Yeah. So I will say, but I put the bag in first and I slowly pour very boiling water That's over it. That's the way to do it. Oh, she knows the girl. Oh God. I like to think I'm and, and I always use these beautiful bone china, like, and I only have a couple of mugs and the kids know not not to use them. Um and I pretend, I pretend that I'm slightly English, <laughs> even though born in Manhattan. <laughs> I like to think I'm a little more sophisticated. <laughs> you know, I was thinking earlier because I knew we were going to have a chat. And I was, do you know how long ago it is that we did that, oh, that horrible did a, movie? <laughs> we did a terrible American TV mo- movie. I mean, it was great fun. Called, I think it was time. called The Diamond Trap or something. And you you oh. were you were a, a villain, weren't you? you were I was a villain. <laughs> I was a I think I played sort of two different sort of people. You did. And and I, I, listen, best... I was a policewoman. <laughs> <laughs> you were a copper. The best thing about that was meeting and getting to know you. But we did we did laugh a lot, didn't we? <laughs> that was we thirty laughed. years ago. No, okay. Like if I'm if I'm to think that I have my whole timing in my mind, I believe is completely off balance because it feels like maybe twelve. If I'm being generous, like I know. nothing feels like 30. I know. It's or, fine. but I remember being, see, to me, and I, I guess maybe you probably talk to anybody and they'd say, well, that's the problem. But you know, <laughs> to me, to me, the experience is, you know, I probably should think more about the material than the experience, um, c- cinema wise, but the experience was so wonderful to be there to be living in that those that little um village and i remember i lived for part of the time in a in part of the castle or the or whatever and just getting to know you and working in different in a in a different place and the experience was so much fun and getting to hang out with you and sort of just make a new friend which is not easy to do and that is the wonderful thing about our business i think is that you know, not everything you do ends up as a wonderful piece, and that certainly didn't. <laughs> not, not, not our fault. We were brilliant, weren't we? Yeah, fabulous. <laughs> I was genius. But it's you the, were you impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the people you meet, the friendships you make, and and the you know living in different places. You know, aren't we lucky that you know not this year, but when before COVID that we 
would get to travel the world on a job. I mean, I've seen most of the world by working, and as, as I'm sure you have. I have, and that's been a huge part of the fabric of just who I am, how I look at things. I mean, I was so lucky. I got to go to Scotland for two and a half months and do a Netflix movie. And it was, we were so sequestered. We built our own little village. We had, we were in our bubble. We were tested every other day. Not one, we were the only production not to get shut down. And just that experience of being able to do that. I, you know, I said to my girls, I said, I'm blessed, blessed to be, because I just to visit and travel to me is not the same as working in, in a place, you know, and all of my huge experiences and the things that I just have around my house and the stories that I tell my daughters are, has incited them and excited them to be able to want to learn more and travel and see how other cultures and people live. So it's, that's through, just through my work you know, since I was a little kid. Absolutely. Because if you're, if you're doing a film or certainly a series, you are often in that location for two, three, six months, you know, mm-hmm. at a time. I mean, years ago, Lee sends his love, by the way. I love Lee. <laughs> He's going to come up and say hello <laughs> later. But he did years ago when he was a young actor, he did a film in Italy with um, uh, Zeffirelli and they filmed for like 14 months. So yeah. he said that's where he learned about food and wine. You know, he was a young English actor and, you know, English restaurants weren't that great in those days. <laughs> and he said it was like a whole education because you lived there for over a year. I mean, I don't it think... it does change who you are. I mean, it, do- it, does, it does add to, I mean, Zaffirelli in particular, I did a movie with him and he, that he directed and, and there is an intensity to, to, to all of that. But it was interesting because only certain friends of mine, when I came, each time I come back, they say, how's re-entry? And <laughs> it's, it's a, it's an actual thing because especially if you live with people, I mean, I live, you know, obviously my husband's a comedy writer, but he's not necessarily he does. He goes, he goes away on location a lot, but this coming back into your life and bringing a different energy back into it. And, you know, I was obsessed with everything wool and Scottish and you know, I, watched, <laughs> I, I was pretending I was an outlander, you know, and, and everything was wrapped. I was wrapping things around me and my husband was like, you look a hundred years old. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm in my Scottish phase right now. <laughs> Just, and he's like, when do you start taking whiskey? I'm like, it's a wee dram. But <laughs> it was only another actor that said to me, he took me aside. He's like, honestly, how's it going? Like, you're happy to be home, but you're also, you've experienced a whole life. That's you've ex- And you've immersed yourself in it. And I love, I love that about, about what we do. And each know. time a new one comes up, it's a, a it's, it's scary. It's a new adventure. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, I'm sure you do the same. You think I can't do this. I don't, why did I say yes? This is too, especially, <laughs> especially on stage. Cause that is, I think, I think that's the scariest. <laughs> They're going to find out I'm really not at all talented. They're going to find out some, I don't know who they are, but they are going to find, find Lee you said out. He used, to st- <laughs> he used to stand when he was at the RSC 
I think he was playing Oberon in Midsummer Night's Dream, and he said he used to stand <laughs> in the wings before the curtain went up saying, please let the theatre burn down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can do this. Just and anything. Just, let, let there be a car crash outside. So if he runs... <laughs> so they can't... It was they, a, um, You know, I was on... Um, what was I doing? I think I was about to go into Cabaret in, in on Broadway, and I would stand at the curb and you know first thing you learn as a new yorker is don't stand too close to the curb but of yeah. course all new yorkers like stand in the street you know and <laughs> almost defy, defy the cars not to hit you i'll show them i'm going to stand in the middle of the street um i would stand at the court at the curb and just envision a cab bumper ripping my kneecaps off and i would be like if my kneecaps have been ripped off i can't dance i can't do it it won't be my fault. <laughs> and, you know, it's 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 Frank Frank Langella said once. He said the 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 path to to getting on stage every night is this building dread basically yeah. that starts about one o'clock in the afternoon, and by the end, by the time you're about ready to go on stage, it just it's just terror. It's abject fear and terror until that first word or first note or first, or you hear the overture. And then the next thing, you know, it's like you've, you've been in an accident and then it's over and then it starts all over again the next day. It's true. It's that, it's that five minutes before you go on that is terrifying. Once you're on, actually the first time I ever appeared on stage, it was in, in Cinderella. They did, do you know what pantomimes are? In, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a panto. I mean, I was really young. I, you know, I don't. I'd done. My, I'd done the boyfriend with Ken Russell, but I hadn't appeared on stage. Mm. I think I was about twenty three, twenty four. And I said to the director, "The only way." I was so frightened. I said, "The only way you can get me, you're going to have to have me on the stage when the curtain comes up because I don't think I'd be able to walk, <laughs> walk on." So he did. He did a set that I was asleep by the fire on my broomstick. Because then I was I was trapped. I was on, and then I was fine. You couldn't leave. But the thought of having to, to walk on was just like, oh my god. Well, so I um, you know, I get these obsessions with certain certain actors, and I just you know, I do I watch them, and I can't get enough of them. And um, I was doing, I think it was doing Wonderful Town, or getting ready to do Wonderful Town, or something. And I I went and saw Jerusalem with Mark Rylance, which is, you know, two, a two intermission, four hour, extraordinary experience. I saw it six times, I think. And I ended up befriending or probably just stalking the cast. That's more like it. And, you know, we would meet at this one pub, uh, you know, just after shows and stuff. And I became really good friends with a woman who was in, in it who played his wife. And I ended up going to London. I think that was the last time I saw you, I think. We had, I think we had dinner. Yeah. I think we had dinner. Anyway, I and it was the last performance of Jerusalem. And because I'd been such a sort of fan, they said, Well, why don't you do you want to be in the rave scene in in the beginning, which is this this moment when the lights yeah. go crazy and then everything goes black. And you know, they have their friends do it. You're all That's in right. silhouette. And I'm standing backstage about ready to do the, the, the strobe lighting moment. And I look over and he's already on stage behind the curtain. And he's doing 
some type of a ritual. I, I don't know what it was. I started looking at it and then quickly turned away because I felt so, I felt that it was so intrusive that I was watching his ritual, his pre-show ritual. But every single night, he does a, does a certain ritual. And I thought, my God, that going into a different type of a ritual gets you out of your head. And isn't that, I mean, I think he's exquisite in anything he does, but I really, I thought, wow, that's really interesting that there's a physicality, a ritualistic sort of, that, that there's been a, a physicality to it that he needed to get into his yeah. body so that he would be ready you know i don't know what it meant to him but i i think lots lots of actors have something they do or some you think that they have to do otherwise you know they're not gonna <laughs> get on the stage but tell me did you love playing it's one regret of mine that i got too old in the end but that i never got to play sally bowles did you love it you would have been an incredible you could still do it now oh are my you kidding God. i mean not when, i don't think you'd want to do it eight shows a week which was no, enough I wouldn't, to but i think anybody. i'm a bit too old i could have done it way <laughs> back but but they hadn't done this new version then i loved playing her but it was so hard every night you know that there was such infusion of such um despair and, and insecurity and ambition that was met with just this just just there was such going on you know and the whole I had just been married and and you know this whole thing about the baby and the abortion and all like all of this stuff fed into it and then we were on stage and it was 9-11 <gasps> and oh we were the first show to go back we went back two days later and the uh, producers wanted me to lead the the audience. What audience? Who was going to be going to the theater? By the way, the audience <laughs> in a version of "God Bless America," and I said, "Are you out of your mind?" Oh I said, "I'm not. I'm not coming in. I'm not. I'm not coming in. I'm not doing the show." I said, "The only reason why Ray, you're going to get me to get on stage that on Thursday is I said you you comp." Every single retired uh, first responder, they kept them all in the balcony. And I said, I'm not going out on stage. I'm not going to bring them all down. So they brought them all, all of the families. And it was maybe we were at 25% capacity of, of maybe there were, I don't know how many, but we had like a house of 900. And at the end of the show, they stood up and didn't clap. There was not one applause, not, nobody clapped, and they just mouthed. Thank you. Um, and I did a moment of silence rather than sing a song or do something stupid. Mm. And I didn't know how long a moment of silence was. Mm. You know, you don't like, and I'm not looking at my watch. And so I just, I said the Our Father in my head. <laughs> I was uh, like, that's got to be a moment of silence. And afterwards, I get so much. They were just, they said, you know, thank you for the distraction. And the next day I got a bus and took the entire cast and we went down to ground zero and we cooked, we cooked big vats of eggs and breakfast because nobody was taking blood. There wasn't any, there weren't, you know, we were trying to donate blood. We were trying to, there wasn't anything, but we needed, they needed bodies down at um, yeah. ground zero to feed the first responders. Wow. And so our cast, you know, and it's that kind of stuff that, 
Broadway, you know, everybody rallied and it was. I mean, that was obviously a horrendous time and, you know, one of the worst things ever. But even through, you know, this last year, I feel that was certainly in England, and I'm sure, as you said, in New York, people do pull together and help each other. And there's been so many acts of kindness in this country of people, just ordinary people, you know, feeding other people, or if they're old people who can't get out, they make sure they get their food and they stand on the doorstep and talk to them so they're not completely, mm-hmm. you know, because that's, I think, been the hardest thing, along with the fear of catching it, is the, the, the you know, the loneliness and that mm-hmm. the mental health issue, which I know you've talked a lot about in in other times of your life. Mm-hmm. And it must be so hard. I mean, we all we all have times when you just think, I've got to go crazy if I can, you know, mine, mine, my personal is not seeing my daughter and my stepson and my grandchildren. Yeah. And it, you know, sometimes you want to climb the wall and think, oh, you know, maybe I'll just go and, you know, and risk it. But you can't, you can't, because it's, no. you know, I, we're in the age bracket that you've got to be careful. But we had our first jab. Oh, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> oh, good. Um, well, it, I also think we're not meant to not be communicative and, and, and social. And, you know, that, I mean, that's why that, that period of time was incredible. And this is, um, it, it, we need to do whatever, you know, whatever we can. And I think that, I think it's hard because, you know, you say that and, there's so many, what I've noticed is that we, um, qualify things. We say, well, oh, it's not as bad as somebody's. It's not as bad as that. Or my situation is not, it doesn't mean it's not valid and, and hard, hard. And I think it's teaching empathy without teaching empathy by learning how to be empathetic to yourself and then understanding what can I do to help someone who can't buy their groceries or, or do whatever. And I, I mean, maybe we will all come out of this a little bit more in touch with that. I hope so. I, I I definitely, you know, I think we're fueled by how we lift each other up, not just how we are alone. I mean, I think, you know, at first it was amazing for us because we were in a house with teenagers Mm -hmm. who, don't ever want to be in the house with us. And then, we, you know, we're like, ha you have to be in the house. And then that was kind of, we made it interesting and fun. And then fear changed, got a little bit worse in a different way. And then helplessness came in and then frustration yeah. and then all the online learning and everybody was, everybody reacts in such a different way. And this is on, you know. So your kids back at school, are they, are they school? At, how old are your girls now? They're 14 and 17. So and they're still at school. My kids have been back in school in person since September. One is going to college next year. Um, the other one will be in 10th grade. And, you know, it's, it's, they've got, you try to try to keep these kids from not wanting to be social. They go, oh, they go a little batty. I know I've said, I mean, cause my, my, obviously my daughter's in her forties, but her, her little girl who's five, five and a half, you know, she's missed her friends, but she's at home with mum and dad and she's, and her baby brother. So, you know, it's been fine. 
although mm-hmm. she's very happy to be back at school. But I always said to Lee, it must be so hard for teenagers because teenagers don't want to be at home with mum, like you said. <laughs> they do <You> know, not. <laughs> Yeah. You, you don't, don't get it. You don't know what it's like to be a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Somehow we must have shipped, we must have skipped over that. That that although maybe I was never a teenager. I think I was I think I was born uh, an adult. <laughs> I wanted to ask you because you I mean you started acting what age 12? Uh, was it 12? It was nine and then I was 11 when I did Pretty Baby. That was really like the first real movie. I mean, I did a movie when I was nine, but. Wow. And you modeled before that. Didn't you start modeling as a baby? I was 11 months. I was like, yeah. Frank, uh, Francesco Scavolo did my uh, ivory so bad. (laughs) Ah, that's so sweet. So your childhood was, must've been quite different to most people's childhood. I hit fame at 16 and that was weird, but you were really young. But I also had such a compartmentalized life. So I had this seemingly fabulous life with my mom. Mm -hmm. And then with my dad, it was a completely different world. My dad never saw my movies. He didn't watch anything I did. They didn't acknowledge that I was an actress or acknowledge that I was famous or anything. And it sounds tough, But it actually just balanced it all out because I found, because I was one of the kids, I was one of six when I would go to my dad's and I was the bohemian child having all these fabulous times and with my mom and, and rather than feeling like I didn't exist anywhere, I felt like I could put that hat and I could enjoy the craziness with my mom. And then I would go and there was something very sort of dinner was at you know seven and or six or the kids stayed in the kid. It was a very waspy, regulated, preppy kind of a world. And it didn't what was interesting is I my stepsister started coming and traveling with me everywhere. Ah. Uh, well it was probably really exciting for her. And it was very grounding for me. Yeah. Because yeah. I could, we could gossip. And so I was never just the only kid, you know? So Mm. I think in a very, oh, and you know what? Another thing was I went to regular grade schools. I went to regular high school. I, if, if, you know, if I couldn't do a movie in the summer, I didn't do a movie that year because my mom wanted And how did the other kids treat you? Just like another school girl or was there jealousies or... Ninth grade was tough, just like being a freshman in college was what, tough. What age is that? Because we don't have that. So 15. 15, so yeah. 15 yeah. You, go to, you go to high school. Okay. And I went into a high school and, of course, you know, I had just done Blue Lagoon or something. And so, Which was you know, huge. Yeah. <laughs> they were not shy of getting up at the lunch table when I sat down in unison to, what, oh, like, move en masse. Oh. So I'd sit with the teachers. And then... You know, then they get bored with being difficult or caring. And then, you know, we started studying together. Or if I did well on a test, then I proved to them that I wasn't getting special treatment. And then I invited everybody to like a party or something once. And they they saw how hard it was. It was like a roller skating party. And my mom said, we're going to invite the whole class. And I was like, what? And it was like Xenon (laughs) or something. And Xenon was like, 
I'm sorry, what? We're inviting a high school class? And my mom said, yeah, if you want my daughter there, you're inviting her whole class. And well, the kids thought I was so, so cool. But what they saw while we were at this event was how much I had to work. So they're all dancing and I'm having to take pictures and I'm having to, you know, do sound bites and whatever. Yeah. And then I got to, to dance with them. But <clears throat> I think they saw that I wasn't stuck up. I didn't think I was better than they were. And that, you know, I still had to have, take that math test on Monday, yeah. you know, and yeah. it, it balanced out. I mean, my best friend is from high school. I, she just, you know, she, the minute I have a free moment, she's there. Well, I have, to, I have to say one of the joys of working with you was, I mean, I was very excited when I knew you were going to be in it and I was nervous but you, you know, you are, and you turned out then to be one of the the sweetest, most unspoiled people I've ever met. And oh. you know, and that, and that, I mean, I as I say, I went through that madness at sixteen. You were even younger, so you know, I do take my hat off to you. You are extraordinarily grounded. We were talking earlier about um, Robin Williams, who we both know. Yeah, and and he was such a sensitive, beautiful person. And I think I met him when I was maybe, I don't know if I'd done Pretty Baby yet. I don't, I think I must have been nine or, I, well, whenever Mark and Mindy was. So I went to the set to meet him because I was obsessed with him, like, <laughs> And I, you know, and I just, my mom said, all right, well, we can go. We're going to be in California. There's, you know, you can get to go on the set. So I went on the set and she got me like access or whatever to the floor. And I met him and he was very sweet to me, but he was very quiet. And I wanted to make him laugh. (laughs) Like I got it in my head that I should make him. I mean, I didn't just walk a walk, walk. I try to do like, you know, know, this guy walks into a bar. I didn't, I didn't go into (laughs) shh. But I definitely wanted, I realized later in analyzing it that I needed his approval. And it was so interesting because I went over to my mom and I said, I don't think he likes me. Now, mind you, he was working. It actually wasn't about me. I tried to (laughs) tell a kid that. And um, I see that now. Um, it wasn't called Mork and Mindy and Brooke. <laughs> um, and, just, and so, but I said, to, I said that to my mother and of course my mom, you know, uh, in her inimitable way, she thinks everything was about me. And so she went over to him. She's like, yeah, my kid thinks you don't like her. And I was like, oh, mom, why did you do that? And the poor guy, you know, and, but what was so sweet was, he said, hey, kid, he's like, of course I like you. He goes, I just get a little shy when I'm meeting somebody new. And, and I said, oh, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm just a huge fan. And, and, and we left it at that. And every single time I met him afterwards, he would, he'd be like, oh, Brooke. And he would just be sweet and have um, a, a sparkle in his, in his eye, you know. The sweet, Jen. I did a film with him. And, um, mm. and actually Carly at that time was four and a half, five. And she oh. was, she'd just seen the Popeye movie. Oh, so she, she must was, have been enamored. She couldn't believe she was, <laughs> she was going to meet Popeye. Popeye. But he was, <laughs> and I told him when, you know, cause he met her after we went on location to the Caribbean and I, I'd, I'd met Robin before that. 
And I told him about it. And so when he met Carly, he just went into Popeye mode. It was absolutely brilliant. But see, that's amazing. Yeah, he was a really quiet, gentle, very insecure man. Very, very, and sort of tortured and genius. I mean, I think the genius and the capacity, it's like to, to see the world the way he did must have been like a stab on his heart every day. Like... It just must, it, it just, when you have that kind of, um, you see everything immediately and, and the synapses fire at such a rapid pace, it must be really difficult to, mm-hmm. to live, you know, to, to, to support that kind of, of thing. But that's going back to what we were saying before when the, going into a caricature mm-hmm. of something is a safe place. Yeah, you know, and you know, and ha- had he just been sweet and shy, maybe Carly would have been like, uh, "He doesn't like me." I mean, he was a baby, <laughs> but but he was himself when he met me for the first time, and I didn't understand that because yeah, I was course. I was a well, kid, you were young. You know? you were a kid, yeah, absolutely. But I also think you find you you ferret out grounded people if it matters to you, and I remember even talking to you about this thirty years ago. <laughs> Think saying, you know, it's Im- what's important to me is I'm going to need a real life mm. to return to every time I return back from one of these experiences. And growing up, it was school, it was high school and college. Then it became husband, household, children. Yeah. Now they create a reality that I yeah. can't. I can't shy away from. Well, I think children ground ground you completely because suddenly it's not all about you. It's about your babies and your children. And then when you realize your babies are not you, that was a huge shock to my system. (laughs) I was like, you're your own person. This is an outrage. You need to go back. (laughs) I can't have you live in this. You know, when you have anyone who's got a young baby. Anyone who's got an opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Is there anyone who has a, has a new baby for the first time? You know, they. It, you know, I can remember when I was pregnant thinking, oh, I'm going to have so, I'm, you know, I'm not going to work for a while. I'm going to have so much time on my hands. I can do, you know, all the things I can do. And when that baby pops out, I mean, it's a 24-hour job, right? <laughs> right, it is. For the rest of your life, by the way. <laughs> oh, tell me, my daughter's in her 40s and... <laughs> I still worry about her. <laughs> well, I thought, you know, I panicked. I mean, with my first daughter, I I did experience very traumatic and severe postpartum. Well, you wrote a book about it, didn't you? I did. I did write a book about it. Um, I think because I needed, uh, I needed to be a witness as well instead yeah. of just push it, push it away. Um, but I thought I was going, I'd been working my entire life. I thought I was going to revel in, postpartum aside, even with my second child, I thought I was going to revel in the time off. Yeah. I haven't had time off and I hadn't had time off in 42 years. <laughs> and I had my child and I mean, the minute I could walk, <laughs> I wanted to go back to work. And it was, <laughs> it was, I had a C-section, but it was one of those things where you're like, wait a minute, you should enjoy this. But the, my very essence of who I've known to be me was a working person. So you take that away and all of a sudden I'm supposed to just be a happy mom. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, no, I'm a, 
I am an actress. But it's you know, wonderful I mean, that you came out and talked about it because I think lots of women experience things like this after having a baby, you know, and 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 it became it, it became a kind of thing you couldn't talk about and to be ashamed of. So when somebody like you could come out and say, "Look, you know, I experienced this and it's okay and, and you know, you can come through it." Because I think it's all made out to be all love and joy and happiness. Hair you know, cascading goes, down, like, the baby looking in your eyes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I I mean, for me, the heart, I didn't, thank goodness, experience what you did. But I, I remember the sleepless nights. I thought, I can remember one day, <laughs> sit, we were living in California then. This was when I was married to Carly's dad. And I, I hadn't slept properly all night for weeks and weeks and weeks because she would wake up. And um, I can remember sitting on the floor in our sitting room and just kind of crying because I was so tired and just, and I'm not particular, I'm not anti-religious, but I'm not particularly religious, but I can remember Mm -hmm. praying to God and just saying, if you could just give me one night's full sleep, I'll do anything. Because I was so tired. Oh. Sleeplessness is a, a is a torture, isn't it? <laughs> they torture yeah, sleep, people. Sleep deprivation is a is a is a real real thing. Yeah, it is, you know. And and I also think. I mean, I thought I've done night shoots. I can stay up through the night and only get a couple hours sleep. Like I thought that was a, It's a different level of just con- constant. And it's new, and I don't think people. The problem I think, especially in where where I live, I mean, in this country, that there is um, there is a lot of shame around it because mm-hmm. people don't because we're supposed to act a certain way. Yeah, exactly. You're supposed to be thrilled and happy, and I just think that it's you now. Sometimes it does get better, but it needs to be at least acknowledged and seen. I think people need to be witnessed. And I've, I've said this to friends of mine, just keep an eye on the person. If yeah. this lasts longer than a certain amount of time, check in with them. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you about who do you, your who do you think you are? Because I did one. Oh. Yours was amazing because you your dad's side of the family went back to kind of royalty in France and things, didn't they? <laughs> like I complete, rem- directly oh, related. Unbelievable. At the top of the tree, it says Madame That's, Royale. And That's I was right. like, oh, who's that? They were like, oh, well, you know, Louis the Fourteenth, and then that's the mom. And I was like, okay, okay. And then, you know, they take you. I think it it was um I couldn't believe that it was that it was true. And because really? my life, you know, my father would say, oh, I was born, I lived like a prince, and you know, and I was like, okay, well. When you don't now, so <laughs> what happened? <laughs> you know, and and it was I was like, well, really, well, what isn't part of? Don't, didn't I get left anything by this, you know, mother of yours? And he's like, yeah, not like a castle in France. <laughs> no, there was a portion of um, the Palazzo Torlonia, which is this palazzo in um, in in Italy at the base of the Spanish Steps, well, near around the corner on. Uh, like Via Boca de Leone, like, you know, some that street. Anyway, my dad sold off my chunk, which would have been like an apartment. Anyway, and I was like, <laughs> Dad, seriously? I was like, he's like, yeah, I needed a new deck on my pool. And I, That's what was so, so interesting was 
it started off all in Italy and then it ended up being, you know, my great, 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 great grandfather ended up getting assigned to be the, the assistant basically to a banished bishop. And he systematically helped this banished bishop from the you know, 1600s uh, get out of France and into Italy. And then the bishop gave him money five, 10 years later or whatever. And he ended up becoming the first private banker to the Pope and, Missol- and Mussolini. Did you know all about that, about your ancestry before you Nothing. Went- I knew nothing about it. I knew that there was an Italian connection and that my father had fought with all of his cousins and siblings and sold off his part of whatever. And my aunt still lives in Italy. Um, but, you know, you say that they, they, when they do the research on you yes. to decide what they're going to do, you know, it was either Louis the 14th and royalty or Newark. <laughs> somehow, somehow they chose the Louis the 14th royalty. I don't know oh, why they didn't why. choose Newark. I have no idea. But I, my mother was like, oh, of course, because oh, she's the Newark so, part. <laughs> I, saw, I bet she was furious. <laughs> uh, I mean, I ended up learning a lot about her mother, which I, I said, I had two questions because they asked you if you have questions. I said, my one question is, uh, can you give me a reason to not loathe my grandmother on my mother's side, who I loathed? Oh, it, it, really? the, mere, the mere air she breathed, oh, I loathed. Wow. And I didn't like having that in my heart, you know, like living with that kind of thing. That was my first question. And then my second one is, you know, I hear about this prince and this this life that my dad had. Well, like, is it all like, is everybody actually related to somebody royal in once you get out of America? That's and so and those were the, you know, and they gave me they gave me a lot of information about my grandmother and my grandmother's history. And it gave me a certain sense of okay. uh, em- empathy. And I I kind of was able to let that go and go, wow, that must have been really hard. Mm. You know, that was in it. So that that. But it just wasn't as good a story as no, um, no, Louis the no, Fourteenth. <laughs> well, they, I don't know about in America, but here they 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 check out a lot of people to see if you want to do it. And I said, oh, I really want it because I love that program. And then then they have to look into your background, and if there's not a story or a story similar to one they've done, you know, yeah. like they've they've done a lot of people who were related to people you know, Jewish people in the war and Auschwitz mm-hmm. and all that. So if they've done three or four, they wouldn't do another one. Right. So they had to find, they have to find a storyline really, don't they? Well, they also, they didn't call me back for months. And I thought, oh, it's all been a lie. There's nothing interesting. And then one day they called back and, you know, they just, I had an assistant at they the said, time. Are you they, sitting down, Brooke? <laughs> no, they didn't tell me. They didn't tell me a thing. No, they don't. They don't tell you from day to day, do they? No, and I didn't know what to pack. And so my <laughs> assistant was like, well, what do we pack? And I said, I have no idea. And they were like, okay, pack for cold weather and pack for blah, blah, blah. So we just we just packed for weather that they said. We never knew That's day brilliant. to day. You know, we ended up practically going off the side of a mountain um, in this little town of, it's Ogerola. Uh, it's up by like Normandy or somewhere. And we were you know, we didn't know where we were going. And then you sort of, then they gave you, you know, get birth certificates and marriage certificates. And it wasn't until I saw the marriage certificate of my relative that they had changed the name from Torlonia, AIS, really Torlonia, um, but the AIS to, he took off the, and made it Torlonia, 
and made him, he just made himself Italian. <laughs> That's brilliant. And then just married royal people. Quite, so like why, he why made, not? Why not? <laughs> and then if you do that starting in the 15, 1600s, I guess by the time it's now, I guess you, you've got something going there. <laughs> you got some raw blood in your bones, honey. Listen, thank you so much for taking time. It's just so lovely. As I say, I could sit here all afternoon and chat to you. Well, let's start um, FaceTiming or, or at least Marco Poloing or something a little bit more. What's Marco Poloing? I don't know. What oh, that is. well, you can just give it a look. It's um, <laughs> it's this app that you, um, <laughs> my kids think it's dumb. I have no stock in it or anything, but okay. it's almost like a FaceTime message, except oh, okay. you get to walk around going like, hey, it's just, I just got up and had my tea. I just want to say I'm thinking about you or whatever. And then <laughs> oh, okay. the person answers it back. So it's not oh. at the same time, but. We can FaceTime think, or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, we should. That would be absolutely lovely. Just stay well. And soon, hopefully, well, not. I don't know whether it would be this year, but maybe we'll all be able to start traveling again. As soon as I can. I, uh, my, I have a godson over there now. Um, oh, lovely. And uh, yeah, and when I was doing the movie in Scotland, I was I had a whole plan that was going to be able to maybe get me to come. And I then they, they were shutting it all yeah, down. So yeah, I had to, I had to get back yeah. to America pretty yeah. quickly. And yeah. when does this come out on Netflix? Do you know? Um, it's a Christmas movie for next Christmas. It was supposed to be for this Christmas, but... Um, oh, we shall look at... What's it called? We'll all look out for it. It's called Castle for Christmas. Lovely, lovely. You know what? There's this whole portion of movies that they do that are so much fun to make because they're purely entertainment. They're joyful. There's dogs. There was horses. There was lovely, you know, hills and <laughs> and castles. And, and I was, you know, and, it, and I finally said to my girls, it's like, you know, cause they watch really gritty, dark, really <laughs> tough stuff. I'm like, I need entertainment. I need to laugh. I need to feel good. I want to feel like the guy gets the girl, the girl gets the guy, the dog's happy. <laughs> so I just, I need, I need some lighthearted entertainment. Aww. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And we'll all look out for it as Christmas. <laughs> Give our love to Chris. Bye. Oh, that was so lovely for me catching up with Brooke. And I hope you'll agree that she is a, an amazing woman. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She's talented. But she's got a heart of gold. And she's very funny, too. Makes me laugh, anyway. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and I'll see you again soon. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye.
You just heard a stripped media production.